that, that God gave him this, this amazing vision that, that is exciting for him, but it's exciting for others as well. That this has consequences for Moses, but this has consequences for the other people of the promised land. And as we've been talking about Exodus and moving forward, we have these grand visions as well. But God, all, and God also repeats to Moses that, that he says to Moses, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, or Yahweh, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Okay, so we're going to take a brief aside into the names of the Lord. This is, this is sort of on its own, and this almost is going to be its own sermon, but it... Yeah, anyway, it, it, didn't, uh, it didn't quite make it all the way there. But the reality is, okay, so in Genesis and Exodus, when you see the word God translated into English, you're seeing one of either or one of two words. You're either seeing uh, uh, the, the, the word El, or how we would transliterate El from Hebrew, or this, this Y-H-W-H, or Y-H, uh, that's kind of how, yod heh vav heh is, is kind of how it works out. And, and um, so one of those two words, and El is just a specific name of God, uh, the, the, sorry, the general name God. That is all, of, that's the word that you would use to describe the gods of the other countries. They would be the Ls of the other countries. Okay, but, but this word that we were given here, this, my name, the Lord, that's that, that yod heh vav heh. That's the, that's the Yahweh word that we've been given. Now, the reason why we have this in our translation, not as yod heh vav heh or Yahweh, is because it, it, just a long history of translation issues. So anytime you see the word Lord, all caps, that's that Yahweh, yod heh vav heh. Now, the reason why they didn't say that word or why we don't have that as the name of the Lord is because the ancient scribes were very nervous about this word. They took very seriously, do not take the name of the Lord in vain. To the point where when they were transcribing it, they would, they would transcribe it differently in order to make sure that they did not mess it up. So they would, uh, they would take the, the, one of the ways that they would do this, and this is, you kind of need to get really deep into the weeds in Hebrew in order to get this. But, but one of the words, one of the ways that they did this uh, to avoid writing the name of God is that they would write the consonants of Yahweh, the name of God, yod heh vav heh and they would write the vowels of the word Adonai, which means Lord. Okay, so so from that you get uh, you get a, a, a whole different word, which is not the name of the Lord that was given uh, uh, given us, Yahweh. Uh, you get another word that is Jehovah. So anytime you hear the word Jehovah, the word Jehovah doesn't exist. It is a made-up word with the vowels of uh, Adonai and the uh, consonants of Yahweh. Now, uh, I this is Dan speaking, not the Lord. I am concerned, and I would question my previous translating brethren and sistren, um, because they felt that the word of the name of the Lord was so holy that it ought not to be used. That, that the, the danger of using it incorrectly meant that we should not use it ever. And I think that that was a dumb thing to do because God gave us his name. 
So if God gives us his name, ought we not to use it properly? Of course we ought to be careful in order that we don't use it badly, but this pushing it completely to the side makes us feel as if God is some generic being in the sky and not the personal God revealed to us saying, this is my name, Yahweh, you know, which means one of two things. It means, uh, well, it means two things at once. It means I am that I am, but also because Hebrew, uh, because Hebrew looks exactly the same in different tenses, it also means I will be what I will be. So when, so it's interesting what God is doing this. He's, he's telling Moses that there's a different and fuller revelation happening here, that he's not just generic God almighty creator of heaven and earth, but that's a good thing to know. But now he's revealing himself even further. Is that not all, not only am I, uh, the, the, the God almighty creator of heaven and earth, I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I am Yahweh. I am the one who is with them. And I am choosing specifically a people from among this. Okay, so by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaved, enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. So God reminds Moses of the relationship that he has with him and with his people as the foundation for the promise that he's been given. And, that, and he's saying very specifically to Moses, the one who has been here in the past is the one who is here now as well. So in light of this, this is what Moses is giving out. It's a repetition of the vision. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with an uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Okay, so Moses hears this great and wonderful word, this word that this vision that, that is freedom for him and for an entire group of people. That, 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 that changes everything and brings transformation and, and, and transport from a place of, of, of slavery, a place of bondage, a place of oppression. It says, we're going to bring you to this promised land where there's going to be freedom, where there's going to be opportunity, where there's going to be all of these things that you're hoping for. So you would expect, right? You would expect that people would be glad to hear this. And we've done this before. You would expect that people would be excited about the vision that God has given Moses because of the consequences that it has for other people. But we see, again, as we've seen previously before, it is not that simple. Moses reported all of this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and their harsh labor. And this is interesting I think. Because how often has this happened to you? How often has this happened to us that we've gotten a new word about transformation and the possibility of being different? That we've gotten this new idea of what we can be as a person, what the world can be as we head into it, and we want to take our family and our friends along with us. And we're saying, like, I want to be different. Give me the space to be different, and you can be different as well. And we can all head in this play, head in this direction where we're going to be free from the oppression that we've uh, that we've built up around ourselves. We're going to be free from those sins and repeated patterns of of living. We're going to be free from that script that we've been handed that we just keep repeating the lines over and over again and playing these roles that were written for us. We're going to confront those old patterns and say that they're that they're gone and and and. 
What we find, though, is that, and you found this as well, is that when we have that, often people are slow to come along. Because your vision is not their vision, and they have an incredibly difficult time imagining the future that you've promised them. And even if you're painting them a picture of a beautiful and amazing future, and, and, and promises of what God has for them, even if you're doing that, if you're doing that for yourself, and you're doing that for your friends and family, they sit there and they say, but I... That looks great, but I can't see how we get from here to there. Therefore, I'm just going to stay here. In the midst of their discouragement and hard labor, they were unable to hear the word of the Lord. And how sad but realistic that is for us in the midst of just getting things done, getting to work, getting back home again, keeping a house clean, getting your kids to the things that they have to get to, just fighting through the, the day-to-day grind of life, how, how difficult it is for us to hear the word of the Lord. And through our hard labor, through just days driving around this city, trying to do things that we think are important, we're unable and unwilling to hear the word of the Lord. And it was easier for them to stay in the place of discomfort, to stay in the place of oppression, than to endure the, 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 the unknown of going toward what God had called them. And we can see the impact that this has on Moses, because Moses tells this to the Israelites, and they can't hear him, and then God says, okay, Moses, now go tell Pharaoh, go tell Pharaoh, king of the Israelites, to let the Israelites go into his country, sorry, the king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go into his country. Then Moses said to the Lord, the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me, since I speak with faltering lips. We see this so often. If the people that are closest to me can't understand what I'm trying to do, if the people that are closest to me, my family members, my, my, my loved ones, if, if my, my, my church family, if these people cannot hear me, if they're unwilling to hear me, how on earth is anybody else going to hear me? How on earth is this ever going to come about if these people that are closest to me, that trust me the most, that I've got the deepest level of relationship with, that I've spent time investing in, if they're not going to be on board with me, how on earth is anybody else going to get on board with me that needs to get on board with me? We can imagine this. We can imagine why it's painful. We can imagine why it's hard to just find yourself banging your head against a wall over and over again with your friends and your family members. That it's just like, haven't we been here before? Haven't I helped you out of this pit beforehand? Haven't I, haven't I helped you with this? Shouldn't we do something different? But we find ourselves doing the same things over and over and over again. And that's why we talk about this discouragement and hard labor. What do we do when people can't see what we see? Because that's the essential question that Moses has to ask right now is that he's been given this mission from the Lord. He needs to follow through on it. But what is he to do when the people that are supposed to come with him can't see it and can't understand it? How is he supposed to function knowing that i got to go to Pharaoh, this has impacts for all of these people, but all of these people aren't interested in what I have to offer, what I'm talking about. What, what, how does Moses deal with the reality of discouragement and hard labor that keeps people so blinded to just what's directly in front of their face that they're unwilling and unable to see and hear what God is offering them and what God is calling them to. What ought he to do? And what we see very quickly is that God through Moses does three things. One, he reminds people who they are. 
He reminds people who God is. And then he reminds himself of the promise that has been revealed. And this is interesting because the first thing that God does after this, and I want to read this out to you. So if you can't read that, don't worry about it. I understand that that's small. Look it up. But this is just a list of names. But it's interesting what God does. So so Moses says, so in verse 12, Moses says to the Lord, if the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with, uh, with faltering lips? And immediately... The Lord, in verse 13, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And he said, These were the heads of their families. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn son of Israel, were Hanak and Palu, Hurzon and Carmi. These were the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jacob, Zohar, Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These were the clans of Simeon. These were the names of the son of Levi, according to the records, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Levi lived 137 years. The sons of Gershon by clans were Libni and Shimei. The sons of Kohath were Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uzael. Kohath lived 130 years. The sons of Merari were Mali and Mushi. God just starts in the midst of these people being under, unable to stand their, uh, 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 unable to hear their future. God just starts calling them out by name. Starts naming their ancestors. It says. Okay, fine. You don't get this, that you're you're so discouraged by hard labor. I know you. I know you. I know your family. I know where you come from. I know everything about you. God starts calling them out by name. In the midst of their discouragement and hard labor, God says, I see you, Phyllis. I see you, Joe. I see you, Wendy. I know you by name. Don't listen to this discouragement. Listen to the one who knows you better than anything else and has known you from the beginning. He just names their names. This is who you are, he's reminding them. This is who you are. You descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You may have been born into slavery and oppression, but you were not always in slavery and oppression. Your history is longer and deeper than that. Your history goes back farther, and I see it, and I know that. And this oppression, while it is real and rampant, it is temporary. This is who you are. You were not created to only make bricks for Pharaoh, but to be blessed by the Lord, as God said in in Genesis 12 when he called Abraham, I will bless you, I will make you a blessing, and all nations will be blessed through you. He says that that's who you are. It doesn't matter what Pharaoh has called you. It doesn't matter how much work you have to do. It doesn't matter how much you are discouraged by everything that has gone wrong in the past. This is who you are. He reminds them who they are. And this is the challenge that we have when we have friends and family members who are unwilling to walk with us. We cannot change their minds, but we can remind them who they are. You are not defined by this job. You are not defined by this addiction. You are not defined by this sin. You are not defined by this relationship. I know you. I know your name. I know your history. I know what you did before you got into this hole, and we can get you back out again. When you are struggling with people who are unwilling to see the future that God has promised to you, you cannot change their mind, but you can remind them who they are. And then, again, you can remind them who God is. Because God does this. He says, 
immediately after he recites all those names. And now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said, I am the Lord, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. And he just reminds them again, like, who is on your side? Yahweh is on your side. Who is sending you? The Lord is sending you. I don't want to hear about your discouragement and hard labor. I don't want to hear about the opposition that is facing you. That is fine and good, but you are spending too much time focusing on what is coming against you rather than what is pushing you forward. Who is on your side? The Lord is on your side. Who is sending you? God is sending you. So we remind them who God is. When we find somebody who is unwilling or unable to see the future that God has for them, we remind them again who God is. Who has the cattle? Well, I don't have enough resources to do what God has called me to do. Who owns the cattle on a thousand hills? Who is the source of all money? Who is the source of all time? Who is the source of all energy? You want to tell me that we don't have resources to do what God has called us to do? God has all the resources that, we, that, that are needed. Let's stop listening to what our pocketbooks are telling us and start listening to what God is telling us because if we listen to our pocketbooks, they will keep us in bondage to, to a God that does not love us nor cares for us. We remind them who God is. That, uh, we, we, I have this dream, that, but it feels like so silly. It feels like, like, is that contrary to what God wants? Does God want us to reach out and love our neighbor with everything that we have? Does God want us to love our neighbors as ourselves? We remind them of who God is, because that is what we need to be reminded of when we are facing every difficulty that we're facing. When someone is, is pushing against you and saying, I can't go there with you, it, it seems too impossible. I have no idea how we're going to get from here to that promised land that you're, that you're telling us. You can't convince them otherwise, but you can remind them who God is. That Almighty Creator of Heaven and Earth has called us there. And if Almighty Creator of Heaven and Earth has called us there, then you can bet your butt that He's going to get us there. There is nothing that is greater than what God has called us to. And then again, you need to remind yourself of the promise. And this happens in the next chapter. That even as Moses is feeling this discouragement, even as Moses is, is, is saying, I can't talk to these people, I can't talk to Pharaoh, I don't know how to do anything right in this situation. It only seems that I'm bothering everybody, that nobody wants me to do what you've called me to do. It's just resulting in more labor for the Israelites and more oppression. And Pharaoh keeps now listening to him. In the midst of that, all God does is say, the promise over again. Then the Lord says to, to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. He reminds Moses of the promise again, that this is what's going to happen. I know that you feel like you are a man of faltering lips and you're going to go to Pharaoh and he's not going to listen to you again. But here's what's going to happen. I've made you like God to Pharaoh and Aaron will be your prophet. You were to say everything I command you. And your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. This is how it's going to go. And when you're in the midst of dealing with family members or friends who are unwilling to see the future that God has called them to, you need to remind yourself of what God has called you to. That at the end of this thing, there is no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain, or death. 
that there is freedom and salvation for everyone, and it is sealed in what God has already done for us. We need to remind ourselves of that promise, because it is, it is very difficult in the midst of seeing people make the same errors and, and the same committing the same injuries against themselves over and over again to remind yourself of the promise that God has for you. It's difficult when another... When another mass shooting happens, it's difficult to imagine that God is sovereign in this world and that justice will be done. But we need to continually remind ourselves of that, that the promise that God made is sure, that all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We need to hear anew the promise that God gave us. And this is why we come to this table. Because this is the most tangible thing that we can do. I can, I can give you words, I can tell you my story, I can do all of those things. But we need to have that promise repeated to us regularly of what God is doing now and in the future. And this table is the most physical and clear example of where that happens. That, that God gave himself to us and, and, a week, and commanded us that in, in a regular repetition of this ceremony, we remind ourselves that God's body was broken, that his blood was shed, and that our future was sealed in what he had done. So because our future was sealed in what he has done, there is nothing that can keep us from doing what he has called us to accomplish.